Good morning. I had a friend that when he would get into a particular zone, he would shake your hand and look at you in the eye, and he would say this, are you ready to hear what God has to say to you? That could be a bit unnerving, can't it? But isn't that why we're here this morning? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up and introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know. And I want you to ask the question to each other. Are you ready to hear what God has to say to you? Okay, go ahead and stand and greet and ask the question. Well, you guys were waiting to do that, weren't you? Okay, let's kind of sit back down. Here we go. Now, for those that actually ask the question, it can be a bit unnerving, can it? So I want you to turn to Colossians. We're in the book of Colossians chapter 3. We've been navigating our way through this book, and the first two chapters deal with what we call doctrine, a lot of things we agree to. In chapter three, he starts getting very specific, saying, listen, for instance, last week, we saw that Christ died for us, that we died with him, that Christ died unto sin, breaking the power of sin. We talked about how all sin is addictive and destructive and deceptive. But we learned that because we're in Christ, we can have victory over sins that control us. And so we talked about time, truth, and trust, and how we need to align that with Christ. What Paul now does is get very specific. It's one thing to kind of be ethereal out there and say, well, yeah, Christ died for all sin. He starts naming some. And that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Colossians chapter 3, you can follow with me on the screen or in the Pew Bible. I think it's page 572. But here's what it says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming... In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is God's word. Now next week we're going to talk about verses 10 and 11. And I should title that sermon start it but this week Paul says I want you to stop it other place in scripture says put on put off it's that kind of mentality and in verse 5 again it starts by saying put to death that word death is the word necro we get the word necromancer from that and the word therefore because of seeking Christ because of what Christ has done on the cross we celebrate that through communion 
because he's given us victory over sin, because he broke the power of that sin, you don't have to any longer let sin be your master unless you choose it to be your master. And again, we have to understand community. See, the lie of our culture is that we should be strong enough to handle this on our own. And nowhere in Scripture, when we talk about letting go or putting to death, does it mean you individually have to do this. It is you collectively as the church. We need each other. So he begins by saying, stop it. Just leave that Scripture up on the screen, please. We're going to kind of break this down. There we go. Specific actions. In fact, when he talks about your earthly, it's the word flesh, which means we're talking about visible, outside, bodily actions. And then he gives a grocery list of behaviors that were relevant to his day. Now, I can't see how we don't read these and when we understand what they are, we don't sit there and say, this is crazy relevant for our day. But again, at the very end of this, he talks about idols, which is idolatry. Things that have mastered us. Now, before I break these down, here's what this does not mean. This does not mean that we do not have these desires. We're talking about actions, and the way the sentence is written out, it's something we do every day. It's not like, well, you stop it and you never do it again. It's No, every day you wake up, you say, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to put this to death. It's a daily activity. But it does not mean we do not have these desires. Many of these desires are part of who we are. But those desires have been twisted. I remember when I was about 16 or so, the pastor said something along this line. And again, this is what I heard. Doesn't mean that's what he said, because sometimes we hear the preacher say things that we don't say. But this is what I heard. If you feel any kind of sexual desires towards someone of the opposite sex, you need to repent and get right with God. And people that have those desires do not enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm 16. I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to say anything. Because, yeah, I like girls. They scared me, but I still like them. And, yes, I was attracted to them, mainly if they're in the back of a dirt bike. We used to race dirt bikes. So girls on dirt bikes looked a whole lot more attractive than girls not on dirt bikes. So I was just going to shut up because, but God made us sexual beings. See, the problem is our desires have been misappropriated. They've been misappropriated by idols. They've been distorted. And the first list, you realize, has to do with sexual desires. Now, I remember growing up in the church, we never used that word sex in the church because we thought somehow it shouldn't be talked about, and yet it is all over Scripture, isn't it? But you notice the second list has to do with what? Anger. And we were all created in the image of God. We're all created with these desires. In fact, he talks about the anger or the wrath of God that's coming. The emotion's valid, but it can be distorted to make it evil. And it gets distorted when we seek other things other than Christ. So, understand that when we go down through this list, it does not mean we don't have these desires. Secondly, here's a principle. 
our actions over a period of time change our desires at the source. Our actions over a period of time change our desires at the source. We have to understand, it's why scripture says love's a choice. And he says things like this, love your enemies. Enemies are people we naturally are angry at or naturally hate. But if you want to change your heart towards that person or a group of people, your choices have to be driven by the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. And see, choices are driven, are driven by love or fear. Love says God loves us. God loves me. He doesn't condemn me. Fear says if I get caught, these people will disown me. Love says God desires what is best for us. It's restorative. Fear says it's punitive. I'm going to get punished. Love multiplies when it's given away. That's the crazy nature of love. You can't ever run out of love. Fear is this transactional love. It goes, if you will, then I will. And fear causes us to accuse, to fill our minds with things that are not good, and convince ourselves of things that may or may not be true. So here's a third principle. You will have to do some things you do not want to do. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> you know the biggie here? The biggie here is forgiveness. It's when somebody offends us. And we carry that offense rather than forgiving as we have been forgiven. And yet forgiveness is part of unconditional love. Making that choice. But doing this when we have been wounded, and there's degrees of wound, it is very, very difficult. So understand when we start looking at this list and people start feeling guilty and saying, what does this mean? He's just saying, listen, there's days you're going to wake up and you're going to choose to do something that your heart or your desires really want to do, but you know you shouldn't do that because you got to stop it. God comes along and says, listen, trust me. I got this. So let's go back to verse five. Here's the first list of things that we should stop. Again, put to death. And we understand this, don't we? We live in a very sexualized culture. And part of the difficulty in our culture is we moved from a covenantal relationship, which means we love and we're committed to the good of the other, to consumer one, that is self-centered. There's no obligation to stay if it's not profitable to me. So it's kind of like, well, what am I going to get out of it? See, a covenantal says, what am I going to give? So the first word, sexual immorality. It's the Greek word pornea. Recognize it? We get our word pornography from it. And of course, we need an expanded definition because we have this tendency to think that it's something that we do not do. And so we create definitions that are outside of our particular behavior. I had a good friend that uh, was into sports, and he would get Sports Illustrated. And every year, they had the swimsuit edition. Now, what that has to do with sports, I have no idea. That's another question, another sermon. His wife was younger at the time, and it came to light that she was really bothered that he would look and read that particular edition. He would say this, hey, my wife's attractive. I only have eyes for her. Her comment was, every year I get older, and every year they stay the same age. So I asked him three questions. If you only have eyes for her, 
Why do you want to look at this particular edition? Second question. Do you love your wife and do you want to honor her? You know, even if her reasons in your mind are silly and she has nothing to worry about, do you love your wife and want to honor her? Then the third question was this. Would you want your daughter in that edition? I have a good friend, and because of his porn addiction in his prior life, to this day he will not go to the beach because of the women he might see. His past practice affects his present choices. But this is a pandemic of our day. When you study pornography as a whole, it's both addicting men and women, and the fastest growing part of pornography today is the pornographic information for women. Second word, impurity. It means moral uncleanness. In fact, it's kind of intriguing because it talks about loose living in the context of luxury. So this is kind of what you would call sexual activity because you can afford it. And there are certain sins in America that we can afford due to our wealth. Next word, passion. Better word would be lust. Lust is a state of mind that excites sexual impurity. Lust is about here is what I'm taking. Love is about here is what I give. And I heard this illustration a long time ago that made sense to me, and I hope it makes sense to you. But this speaker said, listen, a person walks up to their favorite fruit tree. Let's just say it's an orange tree. When I was out in California, to pick my friend up. We stayed in the middle of an orange grove. Breakfast, you walked out, you picked an orange, and you ate it. It's great. He says, you grab the orange, you peel it, you bite into it, and you sit there and say, oh, do I love oranges. And every bite you say, man, I love this orange. He said, no, you don't love oranges. You lust them. The orange takes no pleasure in what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about you. And isn't this how we treat one another? We use more than we give. And that's what this word passion or lust means. Then evil desire, evil, it's bad for us, desire. Again, the kind of desire that leads to action. That's what this word is. So it's something that we've nurtured in our hearts that ends up being in our lives. And then he talks about covetousness. And it sounds odd to put this here because the word has to do with greed. The definition is that it's never enough. It applies to money, yes, but look at the context. All this sexual stuff, he says, outside of Christ will never be enough. You'll always be wanting more. And it will get stranger and stranger. And no matter what you do, the day after, it will leave you empty. And it is idolatry. See, false gods never give us what they promise. Now, in recent years, we know more about our brains, and they call it brain science, and they're talking about the addiction of sex, sex outside of the bonds of marriage, okay? And then they talk about how porn and all this stuff in our heads rewires the brain. And, And all the deceptions that we use are in place to justify our actions. But our desires have brought forth specific actions. They talk about how daily activity and pornographic material has the same dopamine spike as heroin does. 
And Paul's addressing one of our major all-consuming idols today, isn't it? Even in the church, we've yielded our knees to this. Langster Bible College just did a chapel and a day dealing with pornography among the students. But there's two struggles we have in the church. One is we do not allow confession because it scares us. We've seen what happens when someone confesses. And secondly, we are mostly punitive and not restorative. So when Paul's talking about this, understand everything is restored under the power and the grace and love of Christ. That's the therefore. It takes us back to that passage. But then Paul changes the subject. And he speaks to another major heart issue that we have to get control over in our actions. Now, in verse 6, he says this, and he really sets us up. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He's talking about the anger of God, future. It's why he's going to come again. He's going to destroy all evil. He's going to set up his city. But he talks about this anger. See, God will judge sin, and it's what he's angry about. And then he says this. He says, in these you too once walked. So the word walk is the word lifestyle. It's the word choices. Remember in Colossians 1 verse 10, he says, walk worthy of the Lord. In chapter 2 verse 6, walk in him. In Ephesians 4, walk worthy of your calling. In Ephesians 5, walk in love. In Ephesians 5, 8, walk as children of the light. In Galatians 5, 16, walk in the spirit. See, stop these things, start these things. But he says, listen, you used to live with this sex thing and you used to live with this anger thing. But now you must put them away. You must put them to death. You have to put off and put on. You have to stop it. And next week we'll talk about things you start. But again, I want to remind you, it does not mean that your emotions will agree with the actions. You may have anger in your heart, but you don't let that become an action. Let's go down through these words. The word anger, the idea is somebody has to pay. We call it revenge. We sometimes call it justice. They did this, this is what they get in return. The second word, wrath, the word literally means to breathe hard. Have you ever seen anybody that just is literally breathing hard and you can see the anger in them? It's when it consumes your mind and your emotions. Malice, malice has the idea of making wicked plans. It's a strategy that you say, you know what? I'm going to get them back and here's how I'm going to do it. Slander, that's part of the strategy. We notice sometimes we call it blaspheming. It's where we speak evil about that person we're angry at. And we might even sound spiritual saying, well, I'm just so concerned and, and, you know, I just want to pray for them. I'm sharing this as a prayer request, but here's what they did. And inside you're saying, you know, I want them to pay. I want people to know. And I want people to treat them like they deserve to be treated. How does Christ treat you, by the way? <laughs> as you deserve to be treated? No. Obscene talk. Note the phrase there. From your mouth. Why did they put that? You know, because sometimes we think it. <laughs> and this passage says, listen, just stop it. Just don't say it. It may enter your brain, but don't put it out. I remember a day, and I've been doing this too long, I think. 
that it was cool and in touch for pastors to swear in their message. I mean, that was a big deal back in the late 80s. Somehow it was being relevant and cool and everything else. Then he says, do not lie. Literally, it means lie, do not lie. It, he says it twice. And you know, let me say something. When I first came here, somebody I was working with looked at me and says, Pastor, you need to understand something. I said, what's that? He goes, I'm going to lie to you. So don't believe anything I have to say. He was wrestling with addiction and you know, just came out of prison. I said, okay. And here's what I've come to believe. If you choose to lie to me, that's on you. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm not going to try to catch you in it. I'm not going to try to do anything. Because if you lie to me, you hurt yourself and your relationship with Christ. So that one's on you. And here's what he says. Listen, don't lie about these things. If you got this desire, this ill-formed sexual desire in your heart, then confess it and talk about it. If you got this ill-formed desire about anger, then confess it and talk about it in community. And then he goes on to say this, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, you're practicing a whole new set of behaviors. The word literally is praxis. And praxis is a practical application of a theory or a belief. And so what you're doing is you're practicing Christ. Choose Christ. Or you can choose sexual impurity and anger. Both are all consuming emotions. You know that. I know that. And Paul acknowledges these emotions. And he tells us that our actions need to align with Christ. Even when our desires tell us otherwise. And let's be honest. This is tough isn't it? And it takes community. By that I mean authentic community. It takes a restorative mindset where people can come and they know that they're going to have people walk with them in the grace of Jesus Christ. It takes confession. Confession is telling God what he already knows. <laughs> it's so interesting to me that we try to hide from each other and God already knows everything. We should be more terrified of God knowing than somebody else. But it takes Christ in his church. Amen? Amen? So let me give this practical advice. Just two pieces. Okay? When someone comes to you and confesses, do not say, oh, you should not feel that way. <laughs> Take that off your list. Rather say, how can I help you so you don't act out on those feelings? So your reaction to a confession is so important. Secondly, you need to ask yourself this. Because when you look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, listen, you want to restore people, but you also want to watch out for yourself. Ask yourself, and if you're on the fence about this, ask someone you trust, okay? Something you're about to do, something you're engaged in, something you're going to say, something you're going to do. By putting this before my eyes and putting this before my ears and putting this before my mouth, what am I choosing to focus on? Is this making me more holy or less holy? Is it honoring my spouse? You know, I told you the story of my friend in Sports Illustrated. Now, what came out later is that previously in his life, he struggled with porn. And we stopped all the, what we would call porn, and took an end to that, 
Sports Illustrated swimsuit still fueled his illicit sexual desires. But in his mind, here's what he said. Well, they have a bathing suit on, so it's okay. And he came to the realization of his own heart, and he had to give that up and other things too, as to honor his wife and love her as Christ loved the church. The truth is we often nurture things inside of us that should not be nurtured. And we hide, and we deceive, and we excuse. Now that trifecta is found in Genesis chapter 3 when God approaches Adam and Eve in the garden. They hid. (laughs) They deceived themselves about did God really say? And they started doing what we so often do. But you know, it's that woman you gave me. It's that snake you made. And we just blame down the road rather than looking and saying that Christ wants to free us from these kinds of evil desires. Desires are not wrong. But sin twists those things and make them something that is not pure and holy. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to do a reprise of that song, Give Us clean hands and hearts. And I want you to sing that as a prayer. But here's a verse I want to leave with you. Just listen to it. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand as we pray and worship in song.